Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the podcast, Bustle's podcast for radical body positivity, fat acceptance, and visibility for all identities. I'm Marie Southerd Ospina, and I'm joined today by writer and journalist Meg Zolch. Meg has written for Bustle, Hello Giggles, Femsplain, and Bust, often covering the intersection of fashion and beauty with gender politics and gender queer identity. And today we'll hopefully be dissecting topics like androgyny and fashion, body dysphoria, dressing for safety, and good old nudity. So thanks so much for joining me, Meg. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) To start off with, I was kind of hoping you might be able to give listeners a basic 101 on gender fluidity and what it means to be genderqueer in particular. Unfortunately, I think the notion of gender as a construct and gender as something quite fluid, not to mention the use of alternative pronouns, is still new to a lot of people Mm -hmm. so since we're going to be talking so much about your identity and relationship to body positivity maybe you could offer some insight yeah um well like you said gender is a construct (laughs) and we are just taught that there are these two binaries male and female um but most people don't fall into just male or female or all the stereotypes that come with each of those things and the gender binary like oppresses everybody, not just like gender queer people, but gender queer is just like you don't identify as a man, you don't identify as a woman, you feel very fluid in your gender, you may um, present more fluidly or just feel more fluidly. Uh, it just means something different for everyone. But I think for me, like gender queer um, has a lot to do with like my masculinity and and owning my masculinity and feeling body positive about that. Do you feel like pronouns have been a big part of embracing body positivity more? Like coming, you know, you came out um, last year, was it? Yeah. You know, and told people you wanted to use they, them pronouns. Those were the ones you identified with. Has that helped you, do you think, on your body pause journey? I think definitely. I think that using the right pronouns is really important for genderqueer and trans people to feel body positive because hearing she, her, like for me, makes me feel out of my body and also makes me feel a little bit insecure about my body because then I know that people are seeing me and see a woman when I say she, her. And I don't want that (laughs) because I'm not a woman. Um, But I also have some like body pause hangups about like, like my boobs or like, you know, things that, that are feminine indicators that um, some days or most days I try to hide. And then when people use she, her, I feel like they're seeing um, my whole body, and I, I don't I don't want them to see that. What's the process been like of getting people to actively use them? Because I know I've seen comments on posts you've written where people's main complaint is, well, this is grammatically incorrect, so my life is a lot more difficult now, and I just... <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, that frustrates me so much because it's, like, not about your comfort and, like, your grammar, whoever you are, like, some English-obsessed person. It's about like comfort and making people feel okay in their skin and I've had to explain that to people and most people are 
don't treat me you know badly if I'm like they them pronouns or whatever but I think the difficult thing is always to enforce it because I'm misgendered constantly and I think usually if it's like over the internet Mm -hmm. I can totally be like hey it's they them or I'm not a girl because people would call me girl or miss or whatever um but like face to face it's very daunting yeah I can imagine especially if some people are well-meaning but they just it hasn't sunk in yet or they're not used to it like they might just slip up and I guess it can be it must be hard to have to explain to people who you know aren't malintended yeah no it's really a dilemma because of course like hearing the wrong pronouns makes me feel really uncomfortable especially now that I'm out and especially now that I'm used to hearing my pronouns around um, people that I love and trust and so I know that usually people are well-intentioned and it's like this like tearing and inside (laughs) of like this feels really uncomfortable but I don't want to like call them out and make them feel uncomfortable because usually when I call people out especially cis people it's like this long apology that ends up like I've talked to to my partner about this who's also genderqueer um, about how we hate that um, people ended up end up making it about them and about like how they feel so bad and then it's not even really and then we have to like comfort people usually yeah. whenever they mess up our pronouns and it's like yeah it's a little exhausting <laughs> sounds like it <laughs> I mean you're a trooper for for dealing with it to be honest thanks um, yeah I'm I was also really interested you touched upon it a little bit your kind of relationship to body parts that are so perceived as inherently female and yeah I wanted to ask you a little bit more about how that's affected your relationship to body positivity you've written extensively about it all the while acknowledging your privileges as a straight-sized person as a person assigned female at birth who might more or less get away with rocking androgynous or masculine styles in a way that people assigned male at birth or masculine people wearing dresses would not be getting away with Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I'm wondering how all of this factors in and what are the body pause issues you feel have been especially prevalent to you, given given the fluidity of your gender? Um, I think that as someone who embraces body positivity, it's been it's like difficult for me to come to terms with like my relationship with like my breasts and my vagina. And because it's like part of me is like I should love my whole body like there's nothing wrong with my body my body isn't really gendered I'm just taught that certain parts of it are of course and that these parts mean that I'm a woman um but then there's then the other part of me that feels more body positive like when I like wear bras that make me look flat-chested or you know just like anything that would cover my figure and so it's like I think it's really difficult for me to to strike that balance which is um, sort of what I wrote about in that story about um, my decision not to bind because it feels like at the same time that I want a flat chest, it felt like wrong to like or almost like abusive to my breasts. And not everyone feels that way, of course. course. And like I know a lot of people that bind and a lot of people have to bind Mm -hmm. and um and there are people who find it empowering but yeah you have to go on what's right for you and your body yeah so I guess it's like it's like the balance of like am I being like a good body positive human and am I being a good gender queer yeah 
Do you, I know that you've also written about like not wearing bras anymore, you know, giving them up. Do you think that's that's helped as well? Because I feel like bras are, you know, all, another thing that's so inherently we're told is feminine and, and female. So how has that been? Yeah, that's actually been like really helpful because I think even just the act of like wearing a bra, putting on a bra feels really feminine, even if it could conceal my breasts more. And then I think the other part of that for me is um, my breasts aren't like very like perky at all. So when I don't wear a that bra. That fun beauty standard. <laughs> yeah, that, that fun beauty standard. <laughs> But, like, that's something that I've learned to embrace because in, well, not in, like, tighter shirts like this, but um, when I'm wearing, like, looser shirts and stuff and no bra, like, it looks like I have no boobs. And that's, like, so great to me. Yeah. So I've really learned to, like, embrace that, like, I don't fit that whatever standard of, like, you're supposed to have perky breasts naturally or <laughs> I feel something. like most people don't, to be honest. Yeah. Like, perfectly perky breasts is just another one of these these myths. I mean, most, like. I'm gravity. It's just a thing. It's yeah. For most people. Totally. And people just appear that way because they're wearing bras. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm not, I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. I actually like this. I'm glad that you kind of found a workaround then because, you know, binding wasn't for you, but you were able to find something that was, yeah. which is, you know, in this case, stitching the bras. <laughs> totally. And, great. and then when I'm feeling like super mask, I'd wear like um, compression bras or sports bras. Cool. So yeah, that works too. It's, it's funny. I feel like clothing in general can be equal sources of empowerment for people or discomfort for people, you know, particularly mm-hmm. if you exist in a marginalized body. And th- that can be created by just the lack of available options for marginalized bodies, as well as just general public perceptions of what certain bodies are, quote unquote, supposed to wear. And we're slowly starting to see more gender neutral ish clothes <laughs> you know and advertising and retail target got rid of its gender um gender labels last year in oh. the kids sections i think and zara released the ungendered line recently but how do you feel about these shifts we're seeing <laughs> yeah we're laughing because you know all about how i feel about that <laughs> um yeah i've talked about this a lot to you but um yeah zara specifically Um, their ungendered line is really interesting to me because as a lot of other brands, when they adopt androgyny or gender neutral clothing, it's always, um, cis women who are thin and are wearing like neutral toned masculine clothes. And that's like across the board Mm -hmm. what androgyny is like a girl wearing her boyfriend's clothes Mm -hmm. and like that's just it's not helpful for so many reasons first is that as a feminine person who wants to buy masculine clothes I want to buy masculine clothes that fit me yes and not I can just go to the men's department you know like with these clothes like at least what I've seen from the ungendered lines it's like the the masculine clothes for women fit the way they would like in the men's department where Mm. it's not actually like fit to um it doesn't like fit their body the right way and so that's that doesn't help afab genderqueer people but then what about like feminine genderqueer people and because i think femininity is always left out of the conversation femininity with like people assigned male at birth you never see those kind of models or those kind of like clothing in these lines no like you said it's always women are feminine people rocking a tuxedo or a suit or cutting their hair into a pixie it's it's that's the focus 
yeah and it's like femininity is so stigmatized that it's even worse when people assigned male at birth are are trying to embrace it and it they can't they just can't pick it up i guess with these with these lines which is frustrating definitely we actually do a segment on the podcast called words matter where we talk about really loaded or controversial terms themselves or catchphrases that intersect with body positivity and i'd love to just hear more on your thoughts of androgyny you know how you would ultimately define that because like like we've been saying it's so geared right now in feminine people adopting masculine clothing but in reality there's a lot more to it than that so in an ideal world what is androgyny to you androgyny is just like no gender and so i think that a lot of the times when people are making these androgynous lines it's obviously like i said so limited and it's like creating this like third binary of like this is what gender neutral looks like and gender neutral is like a million different things because there's (laughs) so many gender identities there's so many different kinds of bodies and so i think that androgyny the word is often misused by brands like zara because they don't they don't know or don't actually display like androgyny and like the full spectrum of gender in their clothes which is important and it's like what I've what I perceive that now that there's so much trans visibility in the media the past year or two um that all these lines are popping up for those people Mm -hmm. but they're not really for those people no it's It's, yeah just trendy to to act as though it is exactly like it as like co-opting genderqueer as a trend instead of like actually catering to the spectrum of people that identify as such yeah are there are there any brands amongst all of this that you feel are actually doing awesome things when it comes to properly representing gender fluidity and androgyny i was talking to mallory the other day about smart glamour of smart glamour (laughs) Um, shout out to smart glamour yes (laughs) they're the best um and she was talking about, like, obviously her aesthetic and Smart Glamour's aesthetic is very feminine. Yes. But she was talking about how, you know, obviously she makes, she like Taylor makes the clothes to bodies and that she has made clothes in the past for masculine bodies. So I think um, brands like that, like get it right. Like obviously, you know, she's catering to a feminine crowd, but it's not limited to feminine bodies. Yes. So I think like, someone like Mallory like really understands like she keeps like her aesthetic of the brand which I think is important but doesn't gender it but doesn't gender it Mm -hmm. and makes it for every kind of body yeah Yeah. that's rad I I know Blue Stockings Boutique is getting a lot of visibility as of late in the kind of indie communities do you know about them they are a lingerie brand that's trying to be very um, gender fluid and trans inclusive so I know they've done a bunch of shoots with with genderqueer and with trans people and just different variety of styles of lingerie and I think that's been great just you know Mm -hmm. lingerie in and of itself is can be very tricky for people to embrace of all bodies you know it's a vulnerable thing so I hope we see more of that as well me too that that reminds me of um because I just started using the like thinks underwear yeah for my period and um I really loved Thinks when it first came out because it was like the first ad that I saw um, was about a trans man on his period. And um, so I was like so impressed that like Thinks was this brand that was very trans inclusive and all this. But 
then they like their wording is like like for women with periods or something okay and so i think that that's like what's difficult about like for these brands is that they make these statements but then they like can't commit to being trans inclusive all the way through yeah i don't i feel like it's a combination of things at times with with brands at large like and i see it with plus size fashion too all the time when people Mm -hmm. think that they are being really progressive because in comparison to maybe what existed 10 years ago something small can technically be progressive but it's like they don't go all the way there you know it's like it like a baby step upon baby step rather than these more meaningful endeavors totally and yeah like and for things specifically it doesn't seem that difficult to just change it to like people with periods for people (laughs) with periods like that's not like a weird wording that like makes sense it's but yeah it's like interesting that they're willing to to take those risks and be trans inclusive and then just yeah I don't really see a lot of brands like that really stick to it when they Mm. make those statements from what I know about thinks I feel like they'd be open to the idea of hearing feedback like that I think they're very they are a more open-minded brand like even the fact that we're that they do like period underwear and are trying to say like you don't need to use a tampon you know if that makes you uncomfortable like that's very that's very rare you know Mm. and they are doing something pretty cool so I, I I do think they'd be like oh, wow, like we probably could, you know, do better if someone said it. (laughs) What are some of the main things in a dream scenario that you'd really love to see in gender neutral branding and androgynous fashion? Um, well, I'd love to see that clothing isn't like sold separately of like women's size and men's size, because that's kind of difficult to shop for. And to, like, figure out the different sizing and stuff like that. And obviously, like, you know, you know all about that with, like, the plus size community. Um, And I think that would be really helpful for, like, to not have to choose the women's or the men's department. And, like, just that experience of constantly feeling misgendered when you're shopping. And dressing rooms can create the problem as well. (laughs) And dressing rooms. Like, dressing rooms can't be divided. I think usually they're not, but some... Some stores do it. Oh, that's pretty frustrating. <laughs> um, yeah, just I think it's like a lot of it has to do with just changing the culture of like how we perceive gender and how we can't like be policing people about that. Because even like w- like when I go shopping, a lot of times when I go to the men's department, I've had sales associates that are like, oh, you're in the, m- the men's department, like <laughs> the, the lady stuff's over, over there. there. <laughs> and it's like that's weird like you shouldn't you shouldn't be saying that to me and yeah so I think it's just it's like not only you know embracing a a bigger definition of what androgyny is with the clothes that they make but bring it to like the culture of their stores of stop dividing the departments or the dressing rooms or policing people like what part of the store they're shopping in and um the women's versus men's sizing like all of that is just makes shopping extra stressful for gender non-conforming people yeah i know a lot of plus size gender non-conforming people who also it's such a struggle you know especially for for plus size people assigned female at birth but who want to dress masculinely or who want to dress androgynously and there's just no there's nothing like there's still so little that can fit a simultaneously fat feminine masculine but like it yeah there's just nothing (laughs) so that's something I want to see for sure yeah and usually like I mean that stuff is out there but it's so expensive and so like Mm -hmm. you got to have it tailor-made and that's just 
yeah, it's frustrating for people who can't afford that, of course. Yeah. Um, it's, it's also funny because I think about... I think about the 60s and when the world experienced like the peacock revolution um, largely started in England. You know, Jimi Hendrix <laughs> became loved for his paisley coats and velvet flares and Mick Jagger with all of his effeminate styles, David Bowie and everything that that man did for androgyny and femininity. And all of these men were simultaneously sex symbols by and large. And amongst the first folks assigned male at birth who were vocally open about not being ashamed of their femininity. And, you know, around the same time, homosexuality was decriminalized decriminalized in Britain. So it was a very progressive time. Do you feel like we've almost taken steps back since then? As, like, especially when it comes to, to men and masculine people embracing androgyny and femininity. I guess it's kind of like a mixed bag because yeah. I think that we definitely are more, we're obviously more conscious of trans people now. Um, especially in the last year, I think. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of, like, um, you know, media attention around trans people um, and, like, trans activists like Laverne Cox or Janet Mock. But um, I think that femininity is still so highly stigmatized with men. And, like, and we definitely, like, moved back in the sense of, like, um, men in the media embracing that because I really can't think of a lot of examples. Like, the most recent one I could think of was, like, Jared Leto. Jared Leto, Jaden Smith. Yeah, Jaden Smith, yeah. yeah. Like, people like that, like, who unapologetically wear skirts on the the red carpet. That's, like, very exciting to see, but it's, like, it's so shocking because it's, like, so rare. Yeah. And, and I feel like yeah. it's also different for Jared Leto or Jaden Smith, who are very public figures to do it, than it would be for the average man walking down the street of New York in a dress. It's just not going to be received in the same way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, would you say that dressing in masculine styles um, as a woman or a feminine person is still more widely accepted than dressing in feminine styles as a man or, or mask person? Definitely. I think masculine style is more acceptable, like, across the board, generally, because, um, I mean, I've never been criticized for dressing dressing masculinely in any way, Um but then my partner, who is assigned male at birth, has been criticized for dressing femininely. And, like, tying back into what we were discussing earlier about, like, safety, where, like, we both feel safer um, presenting masculinely because femininity yeah. is so stigmatized and it's so dangerous. It can be. It can sure. be. Yeah, I mean, you wrote that awesome piece called Why My Public Gender Presentation is Often About My Safety. And I loved the line... Regardless of how I'm feeling, I often perform as masculinely as I can in more public spaces. Like magic, my loose button-ups, beanies, and boyish gestures almost always repel unwanted attention, with only a few exceptions here and there. And, yeah, I mean, that's just very different to presenting femininely and walking down a street in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, it's a big difference. And it's, yeah, I was like, I was really feeling that um, last summer when I had my internship in Soho and... I usually went to work presenting masculinely and I wouldn't get as many people bothering me at all. And then I wore a skirt like in the second week and like totally forgot why I wasn't presenting <laughs> femininely. And it was like, you know, obviously like catcall after catcall, harassment, creepy stuff on the subway. And it's like you just feel or or I just feel so much safer 
presenting masculinely and and that's like kind of frustrating because I don't always feel masculine but if I'm ever traveling especially alone in the city I will always present masculinely just to protect myself I feel like in that piece you also analyzed how it's wonderful to have that tool but it also kind of makes you then worry that you are rejecting the side of yourself that is feminine and how do you even balance that right and rejecting that femininity is empowering but it's just not around men who want to take advantage of you around just the misogynistic public it's like femininity doesn't feel so empowering and that's really frustrating because I think like all my friends who embrace femininity are so brave and like are are so fabulous (laughs) and awesome but like I I just don't have that bravery of like proudly flaunting my femininity in public because it just and it gets them you know negative attention too but I just I I guess I just don't have a thick enough skin to deal with that I feel like we just we have to work within our own parameters at times like and just for some people some things will always be more comfortable than for others and it should be okay to say that yeah so it's you know I really appreciated that that you said in that piece again and now I it's not that I don't appreciate the femme people and the women who are really rocking everything traditionally feminine and like weaponizing their femininity but sometimes for me it's just not realistic you know mental health is also important like feeling safe and we all have our own definitions of those things yeah it's a weird balance because I think sometimes I yeah worry that I'm betraying my body positivity by you know doing something that protects my mental health and makes me feel safer but yeah that's something I'm always grappling with femininity is yeah I mean it is it is tricky and it's it comes with a lot of double standards feminine nudity you know that's that's something else that you've you've written a lot about yeah nudity of of female and femme bodies has been utilized as we know for decades to sell us products everything from yogurt to gym memberships to tanning potions you can probably expect a nude or half nude woman on those advertisements Um, But then when female and femininity isn't for the male gaze and isn't a marketing tool, it's so often shamed. And I'm wondering, yeah, I mean, how does how does body positive nudity manifest for you? Like, how do you even reclaim nudity in a way that feels powerful and subversive and also safe? Yeah. Um, Well, I think that like for me, like taking nude selfies is obviously... um, it's very empowering because I'm controlling the image. And a lot of times when we see uh, feminine nudity, you know, um, they're not controlling the image and it's also being consumed for the male gaze. And yeah. And I think that that's really interesting because I, I read something about that um, for like when Kim Kardashian, you know, um, had her like nude selfie Mm -hmm. and everyone was like freaking out about it. And it was like telling her how bad a role model she was (laughs) when she's like, also like nude like a ton of times like we've seen these (laughs) pictures and like she's done photo shoots and it's like but it's not okay when she's controlling it when she completely controls the image and like feels good about herself and that's really weird to me um and I think that it's really frustrating to me when people assume that you're taking these photos for attention which is great and fine and I think that people should take these photos and share these photos for attention if that makes them feel good like look how beautiful I am like that's awesome like I love that I think that's really exciting but for me I've used nudity as sort of a tool to feel like I have 
control back over my body um and like after being assaulted when I was 19 I think that um embracing nudity in that way and making my nude body visible to myself through these pictures really helped me become comfortable in my skin again and so I think it's just so violating when because I got a lot of backlash because I've written a lot about (laughs) nudity like for you guys and for Femsplain and it's just it's really frustrating how much like that how much I'm slut shamed for it Mm -hmm. when my specific use for it like no one should be slut shamed for it obviously because it's great period in general yeah Yeah. like (laughs) ridiculousness but it's just frustrating because it's like to be slut shamed when like the reason why I do it is so charged and so like taking back that power over in a way like the person that took away that power and and also use those words against me so it's it's yeah it's really frustrating and confusing and you know we really shouldn't assume like we shouldn't judge anybody period with how they want to use or display their naked body but also not to like assume why why they're doing it yeah I think nudity is just we're conditioned to believe that it's only about sex and it can only be a sexual thing and even if that were true like that's fine sex is not something to be ashamed about when it's consensual and when you know it's something that you want but reclaiming it as something for yourself is still pretty new to a lot of people and it feels scary to people and especially if you are a marginalized person and you're you know they're taking nude selfies and feeling great about it but I just think that freaks people out like they don't know how to handle it they don't know how to handle um you know nude images of bodies that don't conform to standards it's just I think it blows people's minds at times it's true and I've also like gotten sort of a lot of like concern trolling of like you don't want people to find these images online and like what are you doing you're you're stupid and it's like well like I don't care if if people see my nudes like why should I care like that doesn't that doesn't make me like an inappropriate like unemployable person it's just I just love my body yeah and I want more people to see that I couldn't look at my body for a while um more for like post-trauma than um maybe body negative stuff necessarily um and I think that nudity to me felt dangerous and it was difficult for me for a while even to be like completely naked during sex because it felt dangerous and it felt yeah. I mean you were th- you went through an experience that was dangerous and that I mean that makes sense yeah so then I feel like then by taking those photos and and then looking at them and it's like oh I look so cute <laughs> and like there's nothing scary about this like my yeah. nude body is not you know gonna make something awful happen to me it's just just chilling here Mm -hmm. looking cute (laughs) (laughs) um to switch gears a little bit something a little lighter (laughs) um I'd love to talk a little bit about about beauty and and makeup you know I know you're a huge (laughs) fan of makeup particularly (laughs) alternative alternative stuff and sadly I think there still exists this stereotype that preoccupying oneself with frivolous things like cosmetics is a waste of time or a shallow practice but you think beauty can be not only empowering but radical and yeah I'd love to hear more about that and how you you've used beauty in your own kind of gender identity early on my relationship with beauty was kind of like weird because I saw it as so feminine and you know growing up with my mom who um loved all sort of like the pinks and the reds traditionally girly stuff (laughs) yeah very like girly very like 
um, also like concealing and you know stuff like that like I never identified with it and I've o- I was always fascinated by makeup but I was like <laughs> this is like not for me <laughs> um, and then I guess it was like in college when I started like seeing brands like NYX or like ColourPop and things like that of like you know all these like crazy cool colors mm-hmm. and I was like oh this is the fun makeup this is the stuff that I need and So I think that I've found it to be really empowering of like beauty doesn't have to be feminine and it doesn't have to be one kind of feminine. That's rad. Do you feel like there have been some particularly useful beauty products or beauty routines that have helped you when it comes to body pause? Um, I know I feel like you've written about lipstick a lot and and just, you know, purples and blacks and metallics and... I mean, we so associate lipstick with, like, the perfect red pout and Marilyn Monroe, but, you know, reclaiming all these colors and, and different narratives to, to beauty. Yeah. I mean, lipstick is so empowering to me. <laughs> and, like, I, I don't think I feel like a like I have my whole face on if I don't have my lipstick yeah. on. Um, and I think that it just somehow, like, the way that I've written about it before for Bustle and the way that I still feel about it is that it makes me feel more visible in my identity and comfortable in my skin because I think often when you see some kind of androgynous looking person like wearing weird colored lipstick or whatever like you know that they're genderqueer or gender nonconforming or queer or whatever and so I think that makes me feel good to like wear my my queerness like on my sleeve I guess for sure and um and as someone who's so like anxious and socially anxious and um has taken a long time to embrace the fact that they have you know or I have the um right to take up space yeah um I think that lipstick sort of helps me take up space in a public place before like I actually have to say anything or something so like wearing like a, a black lip and like colored eyebrows which I've done a lot it's like so like loud and people are just like whoa like you look so cool and I think yeah that just like helps me feel like more comfortable and more like badass and like like I can like I'm allowed to be here and I'm allowed to (laughs) talk and be like genderqueer or whatever and it's fine yeah I think the idea of taking up space in general is so important for Mm -hmm. for women and femme people and just you know um, gender non-conforming people because these are all identities where you're told that you should more or less hide and and just that you don't have a right to all these experiences that the quote-unquote average person is supposed to have and yeah I love the idea that taking up space doesn't even have to necessarily be a physical thing like a thing related to to size as it's often often utilized and I know why it's utilized that way and I love when it's utilized that way but Mm -hmm. it can also be like you said with with just beauty and with kind of controlling how it is people are staring at you because I feel like when you're marginalized in any way you know if you're if you're queer presenting and and it's just obvious that you have a gender non-conforming identity or you're fat people will probably stare at you but when you do these things you're controlling you're controlling it you have total control and you're choosing you know to yeah to manipulate your image and construct your image in a way that yeah people will look but it's on you like you're yeah I don't know does that make sense yeah no like you're owning it and you're like yeah Yeah. I know that I'm this way and I'm confident about it and I like I'm fine with you staring definitely so that yeah that feels really (laughs) empowering (laughs) for sure are there um some beauty brands that you want to shout out that you know have been that have been useful to you obsessive compulsive cosmetics is like 
my fave probably <laughs> <laughs> i love their stuff so much <laughs> Um, and they use yeah. they use men and in beauty ads and that's like it it is revolutionary you know it's very exciting I love <laughs> every time I see that on their Instagram when because they have like a bearded model yes that's always <laughs> the person that is like rocking the lipstick that's mm-hmm. not very femme and I'm just like oh, so cool because like we need to see more of that and so they're obviously they care about their queer customers um, their colors are like they have like every color and they're <laughs> so crazy cool. And and then obviously like the fact that they're vegan and not like cruelty free is great because I'm vegan. But I also like I really love um, milk makeup right now too. Oh rad! I yeah, don't yeah really I haven't cool. dabbled in milk makeup, but I only hear good things. <laughs> yeah, so we do this thing on the show every week where we also shout out a body pause badass <laughs> and generally somebody who has really inspired you in any facet of body positivity, but who might not have a huge social following or who just you don't feel gets enough credit you know whatever it may be and I'm wondering if you have anyone who you want to highlight I totally do um well Jacob Tobiah is like a gender (laughs) activist and like one of the coolest people ever um they were on um true life I'm genderqueer for MTV and um they just endlessly inspire me with how unapologetic they are about their femininity like that's it's very like like we've talked about it like so much about you know like they're just so unapologetic about it and they they have a beard Mm -hmm. and I think that usually when you mix you know those kind of features it's like you get like extra people you know giving you trouble and but they're just like they totally don't care and they just like own it so much and they just look amazing all the time (laughs) and like all their like Instagram posts of them going to all these like fancy events and wearing like fabulous gowns and I'm just like <laughs> I just I wish I was you like that is amazing just or can so I at least props. frame you like yes. just look at you every day <laughs> exactly well thank you so much for for all of this for being so open and vulnerable and just as always you know eloquent sure. and shedding light on issues that people need to talk about more <laughs> sure thank um, you for having of me of course and if if people want to find you if they want to find you on social media and you know keep up with your work how should they do that um, so they can follow me on Twitter, which is at Meg Zulch, M-E-G, and then Z-U-L-C-H. And they can follow me on Instagram, which is at the underscore Lady Jane. I love your Instagram name. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Cool. And you also made a writing Facebook page recently, right? Yes, I did. Is it just Meg Zulch? It's writer? just Meg Zulch, yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, like me on Facebook if you want. <laughs> Keep up to date with the stuff. You totally should. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. This episode was produced by Sarah Barrett with editorial oversight by Anna Parsons and music by Patty McClave. As always, you can find us on our Rad Podcast Network, ACAST, or subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. 